Hallelujah, hallelujah. I've been carrying that album by Anthony Tremble on my phone for a week and a half, two weeks. I've listened to it probably once a day just because it, it was good music. I did not know the backstory till my wife told it this morning. I didn't know that he had cancer. I didn't know that the, the struggles that are going on there and possibly the short term of his life, it only makes the worship that much more special. Amen. But they say... And I, I'm, I'll get to the preaching in just a minute. There's no adage that says you sing what you believe. And you believe what you sing. You can trace the theology of the church across history through the ages. Through its songs. It's in the songs that the beliefs are expressed. It's in the songs that that what we what we think about God and what we how we see God and how we understand God, those things are expressed in song. Apostolic revival in the early nineteen hundreds gave birth to exuberant worship and exuberant singing, great songs like it's all in him came off of the red hot altars of Pentecostal revival. Amen. From that time until this, it has been a crescendo building of influence in apostolic ministry and apostolic music. It probably reached its heyday in the late 90s, early 2000s when apostolics were seen across the music world as a source of an innovative new sound a sound of worship and praise, unhindered, unabated, that, that others didn't have. Amen. Since that time, a lot of groups have made sport and made a, a practice of imitating that style of worship. That It's not so uncommon to find exuberance in worship. It's not so uncommon to find those that will clap and dance and sing vibrantly. And it's not so uncommon now to have the variety of instruments involved in the worship. Amen. But what is still uncommon is a spirit and the anointing of God that only rests upon a people who are called by his name. What we need more than we need anything else is an apostolic voice to be reasserted in worship. Our worship is influence. It's influential, amen, it makes a difference. So I would encourage you, not just Anthony Trimble, but every time you get an opportunity to buy an album or, or support a group that is United Pentecostal that's out there teaching and preaching truth. There were songs that were sung in the 90s and, and early 2000s all over the world that, that, that sung about there's only one God, amen, apostolic truth in song. Amen. That's one way that we spread our message. I'd encourage you to support those artists. Amen. But not just that, I'd encourage you to bring that music into your life. Amen. Because it shapes your image of God. And I want my image of God shaped by anointed worship. I want my image of God shaped by people who are spirit-filled. Amen. That's not to say there's not a place for any other kind of worship. I enjoy all kinds of music. But I am particularly fond of that which I know is anointed. Amen. Spirit-filled. This is a spirit-filled church. If you have your Bible, one turn to the 16th chapter of Romans today. We'll kick off the final chapter of the book of Romans. We've been here for a long, long time. This is our uh, 86th lesson, I believe. It is, yes, 87. It is our 87th lesson from the book of Romans. That's quite an undertaking. And so 
we're in now what is the closing of the chapter. I said this last week. This is the point where it starts to sound more like a, more like a letter and less like a sermon. Uh, in this section that we're going to, this final chapter, Paul sends greetings to 26 different people, to three house churches and to two households, which are probably house churches as well. Many of the references to these people are intriguing, but in many cases we can only speculate as to who they were and what they did. We, we don't know a whole lot about them outside of what's in Scripture. There isn't a whole lot in Scripture about these individuals. It may seem strange that Paul knew so many saints in a city that he had never visited, but apparently he had worked with some of these in other places, or he had converted some of them. They were the product of his own ministry from other places. Now, as you look over the chapter and you see the list of names and the many things that are there at first glance, it, it may not seem significant compared to the rest of the epistle. But there are several important truths demonstrated in this list of greetings, and we're going to dig those out over the course of this Sunday and next and, and just kind of open up what is there. At first glance, they, one thing that we can say about these greetings is that they confirm the authenticity of the letter. Amen. Nobody writes a fake letter and proposes that scripture and puts these kind of greetings in the end of it. Amen. These are people that nobody knows, but but back then everybody would know. You got to remember this letter was circulated in the first century, and so it would have immediately been known that these are not people in Rome. So it vouches for the authenticity of the letter. It. It's also interesting to note the prominent role of women in the early church. Paul mentions 10 women in this chapter and adds a special com- comment or uh, commendation in all but two of those cases. He shows us that faithful Christian women had an important role in the church in the apostolic era. They were, they were important. Paul doesn't just list all the names of men and bishops and elders. He lists the names of as many, almost as many women as he does men in this list and speaks very highly of them. There's some of the men are going to be listed individually without any kind of commendation, but these women, he speaks very highly of them. At least 10 of the names on the list are... Names that are closely associated with slavery. They probably represent slaves or people who have formerly been slaves and are now freed from slavery. Uh, Since such a long list of names is uncommon in Paul's letters, he doesn't usually have such a long list. We may ask, why is it that the book of Romans, he goes into such detail? Why does he list so many people? Why does he call out so many people? The answer, no doubt, lies in the fact that Paul has never been to Rome. A list like this would impress those who are named, but it would also impress those who are not mentioned at all. It would prepare the way for a positive reception once Paul arrived in Rome. How many use Facebook? How do we get from Romans to Facebook? Somebody sends you a friend request and you don't know them. The first thing Facebook shows you is the friends that you have in common. 
it's that list. You know, if you send me a friend request and we've got 50 friends in common, I kind of feel comfortable. I may not know you, but we're, we gotta, we're, we're a common belief structure. We, we think alike. Amen. The people I like are the people you like. And so if, if you're friends with them, you can probably be friends with me. But if I, if I get this request and it's from somebody I've never seen and I've never heard of and, and we don't have any friends in common, amen, I'm very likely just to discard that and move on and not, not, not approve that friend request. Does that mean you can't be my friend unless you've got a friend in common with me, well, very likely you're never going to become my friend unless we have a friend in common. And so it is that, that is this, this, this letter in the 16th chapter is the first century version of the friends in common list, amen? It's Paul's way of saying to this church he's getting ready to go visit, I know those among you, we have friends in common. And they're not just, uh, not just anybody, these are very influential people in the church of Rome. And Paul's letting them know, hey, I know these folks, they know me, I can vouch for them and they can vouch for me. Paul's writing this letter from Corinth, and we know from last week's lesson that he's about to depart for Jerusalem to deliver an offering, and that he's going to turn and go to Rome on his way to Spain. And so he's sending this letter ahead. He is sending this letter with a woman, a Christian woman, by the name of Phoebe. And apparently... Paul has asked Phoebe to carry this letter and deliver it to the church in Rome. And so the chapter 16 starts with two verses about Phoebe, a statement of introduction, a recommendation, ensuring that she'll be well received by the Roman church. That's where we're going to pick up. I'm going to read the first 16 verses of Romans chapter 16. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Forgive me, I have to have some water today, my... <clears throat> my voice is understandably complaining. Amen. Verse 1 says, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a securer in, of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Apetinus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncretus, Phlegian, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogus and Julia and Aresis and his sister, 
and Olympus and all the saints which are with them salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. That's a whole lot. We're going to dig into it this morning. Would you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I'm asking God you just allow the word of God to minister to all hearts in our lives today. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to go back to verse 1. It says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, is in Syncria. Paul starts with this recommendation of Phoebe. She's the one carrying this letter to the church in Rome. And, and this, these two verses are uh, what you would call a letter of recommendation from Paul to the church in Rome to receive Phoebe. Those kind of letters of introduction were very useful in the ancient world when travel was hazardous and public accommodations were scarce and somewhat risky. It wasn't, you couldn't just go down and rent a hotel at the Hilton Garden Inn. Amen. There wasn't a nice place to go and, and, and find safety, especially for a woman traveling alone. She, she would depend on the church to be able to help her provide her a place where she could stay, uh, maybe some home that, uh, with a fellow uh, member of the church, uh, another lady that she could go and stay with her during her time in Rome. These kind of letters of introduction were put in play to open the door to that kind of private hospitality. They also gave some assurance to potential hosts that they were not being defrauded. This person was real. Amen. So when Paul commends Phoebe to the church in Rome, he's recommending her. He's, he's introducing her. He's asking the church to help her. Now, Phoebe is called a sister, which demonstrates the early Christian custom of addressing fellow believers as brother and sister. It may sound strange to outsiders, but that's a common practice in the church still today. Amen. You're my brother. You're my sister. We didn't make that up. It didn't develop over time. That's the way the first century church regarded each other. They were brothers and sisters. She's also a servant of the church. That same word for servant, it's a word that's much contested. It's a Greek word that is variously translated as servant or as deacon. And so it could also be translated in this case as deaconess. I'm not sure uh, the exact role that she played. We know that she played an important role. It was a significant role in the church. So she, she was of importance. She was not just, uh, uh, just anybody. This is a lady who is a prominent figure in the church. And one thing that is underscored in this passage is the truth that Women occupied important positions of responsibility and service in the New Testament church. Amen. So many times people want to look back and say, well, that's an era that didn't value women, and that's true. That's an era that treated women as if they were property, and that is true. That's an era that debased women, and that's true also. But the church was not of that mindset. The church was a place where women were liberated, they were set free, and they were free from the constraints of that society, and they were instrumental members of the church. There's no division. Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's no separation here. We come together and we labor together. So in in the church today, there's it should be the same way. There's, there's no division. 
Amen. There's no uh, male chauvinism. Amen. It, no matter what society does. Amen. We recognize and understand the value of women in the church. Amen. They teach Sunday school. They, they, my wife's not beyond preaching every now and then. Amen. That's okay. <laughs> She's giving me one of them looks. That's all right. Amen. We, we, we understand that God can use women in an instrumental role in ministry. Now, this is the first time also in this verse that the word church is used in the book of Romans. It refers to the local congregation and, and, and the collective body of Christians. That's the way Paul uses it across all of his writing. And so he uses that word here. It's the Greek word ecclesia. It means called out ones. We've been called. Amen. Now, Phoebe is not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. Her name means bright and radiant. It indicates that she was probably a Gentile by birth since that is the name of a pagan deity. She was probably named after the God that her parents worshipped. Amen. But she is now a Christian and she is now an instrumental part of the church. Verse 2 says that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints and that you assist her and whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a securer of many and of myself also. So, this word secure is, is not really normal to our language. Some translations give us a little help. Uh, they translate that word as helper. Uh, the best translation, a literal translation, would be patron or patroness or protectress. Amen. That, that word gives some insight into Phoebe's role. She was probably a woman of wealth, a woman of high social position, a woman who had means. And what Paul notes here is her assistance to many people in the church, including himself. She's, she's been a patron. A patron is somebody who, who we, we in, in our society, we might use the word benefactor. Amen. How many knows what a, a benevolent benefactor is? That's somebody who, I need one of those to pay for my doctorate, amen? I'm looking for a benefactor if anybody's wanting to step in, amen, to, to shell out the bucks to pay for a doctorate degree, amen? That's somebody who takes somebody under their wing and says, you know what, I, I, you don't have the resources and you don't have the means, but you've got the, the spirit and the heart to do something. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the funding. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. And so that's what Phoebe was. She was a patron of the church or patroness. She was a, a, a wealthy individual that had the opportunity and the ability to open doors for them that into society that perhaps no one else could open to finance the missionary efforts and to, and to help them in everything that they did. So Paul says to the church in Rome, you need to receive her in a way that's worthy of saints and assist her in anything that she needs you to do. Help her. She's in Rome to do some kind of business. We don't know what kind of business it is, but but he's admonishing them to welcome her with open arms of fellowship and receive her in the Lord. By saying that he, he wants them to receive her in the Lord, he's saying she's a fellow believer. Amen. She's a Christian. Treat her like that. The next request is for the Roman church to assist her in any way that she might need help. It's unlikely that Paul is requesting a financial blessing for her since she probably has the means to bless on her own. Uh, she's probably well-to-do in her own right. What he's saying is she's going to need a place to stay. She needs lodging. She needs hospitality. She needs someone who will take care of her. The concept of a patron was well-established in Paul's day. A patron was usually someone who's prominent, well-to-do. 
use their position, their wealth, their influence to benefit others. And so that's what she has done. She's blessed the church. She's blessed Paul, said even myself. He said right here, I'm one that she's, she's blessed me too. Amen. Since many women perform that kind of service, it's easy to see how Phoebe would belong to that category. She's no doubt a figure of significance whose wealth and influence has been put at the disposal of the church. And her wealth and status probably make connections that no one else could make for the church. But the key to this passage is hospitality. Paul requests hospitality for Phoebe because she has been hospitable to others, including Paul. She's treated others well. She's treated Paul well. And he's asking now the church in Rome would treat her in kind. So that's all that we have about Phoebe. We know she's carrying this letter, and she's going to Rome on business. She's a prominent individual. Uh, she is in some way a servant or deaconess of the church, and she is a benefactor or a patron, and she is a great blessing. And Paul is asking that they would receive her well and that they would bless her in return. Verse 3 now turns... To two of Paul's oldest friends, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ. They were a married couple who had worked closely with Paul in the past. It's interesting and somewhat revealing that Paul mentions Priscilla before he mentions Aquila, where the custom of the day would be to mention the husband first. That's caused some to surmise that Priscilla may have been from the noble Roman family named Prisca. And if so, her high social standing would be the reason why he would list her name first. And put it in my wife's terminology, she was the one who was royalty. Amen. He married up. He married well, like I did. Amen. He married well when he married her. He married up. And so it's a recognition of that when Paul calls her name first. She's the one with the, the title, if you will. She's the one with the position, uh, the prestige, while Aquila was a Jew from Pontus. Now, Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth on his second missionary journey. They had been living in Rome, they were citizens of Rome, but Claudia expelled the Jews from Rome in 49 AD at the threat of their life, and the Jews fled Rome, and they, Priscilla and Aquila ended up in Corinth. And there, it is likely that that is the place where they were converted by Paul to Christianity. We know this about them at Corinth, that Paul and Priscilla and Aquila became very close friends. They were drawn together by common trade. They had they had the same workplace experience in common. They were both, Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul were tent makers. That's what they did for a living. So we know that Paul supported his ministry somewhat through the making of tents where he needed to, he needed to earn a little extra money to get on or move to the next place or he needed resources that weren't readily available. He resorted to tent making. That's what Paul did. That is also what Aquila and Priscilla did. And so we find in Acts 18 that Paul lived with them for some time while they practiced together this art of tent making. Later, when Paul left Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila went with him. 
They went all the way to Ephesus with him. And then in Ephesus, Paul continued on, but Priscilla and Aquila stayed in Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, they met a Jew named Apollos who was preaching about Jesus but was not yet a Christian. He only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. So Priscilla and Aquila took took him into their house and explained the gospel to him and converted him. When Paul later returned to Ephesus, he worked alongside Priscilla and Aquila for a long time. Now, sometime after that, Claudius, who had expelled the Jews from Rome, died. He died around AD 54. And his edict against the Jews being in Rome was no longer enforced. So Priscilla and Aquila, undoubtedly, we don't have a record of this, but undoubtedly chose at that time to go back to Rome because Rome is where their home was. How they got there, we don't know. When they got there, we don't know. But we do know this. When Paul writes this letter, they are there. They're a part of the church in Rome, and Paul knows that. And so he gives them the longest and most prominent greeting of any of the Roman Christians. These are likely two of the most important people in the world to Paul's missionary experience and endeavors. They may well have been his very best friends in the whole world. They were certainly his best liaison to the church in Rome. So this is who he mentions first and at length. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila my helpers in Christ. In his letters, Paul often refers to others as fellow workers or helpers. He doesn't say specifically what kind of work they do, just that they labor with him. So since Paul's main work was that of a missionary, he focused on evangelism and church planning. We can assume that those that he calls fellow workers or helpers are associated with him in some way in that kind of ministry. We'll find out in verse 5 that Priscilla and Aquila have a house church that meets in their home. So that means that they're probably still active in the same kind of ministry that Paul is active in. They're building, planning churches. They're establishing congregations. They've got one meeting in their house even at the time that Paul is writing. Verse 4 says, Who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, who have for my life laid down their own necks. That phrase is is very akin to our phrase, risk their neck or risk their life. At some point while laboring together, these two friends of Paul put their life on the line for his sake. They, they somewhere, they risked their very life to preserve him. Now, that tantalizing piece of information is all of the story that we get. There's nowhere in Scripture that this incident is mentioned. There's no other reference to it. And we have no way of knowing when or where uh, Priscilla and Aquila risked their life to save the life of Paul. Now, we do know from Paul's own account that his life was often in danger for preaching the gospel. And apparently, in one of those instances where his life was in danger, his friends, Priscilla and Aquila, stepped in, risked their own necks to save his life. Because of that, and no doubt for countless other reasons, Paul says that he gives gives thanks to God for Priscilla and Aquila. In fact, he says all the Gentile churches thank God for this great servant couple. Now, why would all the Gentile churches thank them? Probably because if Priscilla and Aquila hadn't saved Paul's life, the Gentile churches wouldn't have been established. 
Amen. So Paul's making the reference back to the fact that they saved his life. And because they saved his life, he thanks them. And all the people that he's reached thank them. Amen. Verse 5 says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Apetinus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So a local congregation met in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. And we know uh, from Scripture that Priscilla and Aquila had hosted house churches before in Ephesus. And so now they're doing that in Rome. They're fellow laborers with Paul in that missionary endeavor. Now, What's interesting, we talk about the church in Rome, and the book of Romans was written to the church in Rome, but the church in Rome was a very large church, but it was there was no way for the church to meet in one place. There weren't church buildings like we have today. Uh, there was not a central meeting place for the church, so instead the church met in house groups, house churches all over the community of Rome, and, and while there was a larger umbrella of the church and pro- probably a larger presiding bishop over the whole work in Rome, there were these individual house churches which pretty much operated like a local church does, and the leader of that house church would play the same role that a pastor plays to a local congregation, whereas the bishop over Rome would play the role of a district superintendent. Does that make sense? And so there's this network of churches in Rome that Paul is writing to, not just a single congregation, but this network of churches, and they primarily meet in houses. And one of these houses is the house of Priscilla and Aquila. There are no church buildings big enough to hold them. As a matter of fact, the, the home has to be the home of a wealthy individual or someone who has means and substance. And so they, they go there and they gather there and they have church there. That's Aquila and Priscilla. They saved Paul's life. They were probably his best friends in the ministry. They had the same trade in common. They were tent makers and they were local pastors. They, they, they had a church in their house that they helped establish and lead. Next mention is made of a Apetinus who was Paul's first convert in the Roman province of Asia or Western Asia Minor. He's talking about the area that we today call Turkey. And apparently this young man was a close personal friend since Paul calls him well beloved. And we'll see that phrase very often. It, it just means that he's a very close, very personal friend. Then in verse 6, he says, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. So Paul greeted a woman named Mary, whose labors he had benefited from. The word labor denotes hard work. But we have no way of knowing what kind of hard work that Mary did. Paul and his associates have benefited from Mary's hard work. And we know virtually nothing else about Mary except that she was a hard worker. And she blessed Paul. Amen. Verse 7 says, salute Andronicus and Junia, my, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who were of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now, this is an interesting couple. Andronicus and Junia were Paul's kinsmen. That means that they were Jews and they were fellow prisoners. Now, here again, we get a tantalizing glimpse into the untold story of Paul's life. Apparently, at some point, Paul was imprisoned along with Andronicus and Junia. They were prisoners 
together. Now, there's probably a great story there that has never been recorded. We'll have to wait till heaven when we can sit down and ask Paul for ourselves and hear the story firsthand because we're never going to find it anywhere else. So we get these little snippets uh, in, in this closing of the book of Romans of things that happened in the life and ministry of Paul that we don't know anything else about. We just know that at some point, Aquila and Priscilla saved his life. And at some point, uh, he was imprisoned with Andronicus and Junia. Now, there are a couple of very interesting details about these two. They were probably a husband and wife team. They were a man and his wife, and they were Christians before Paul was a Christian. That's what he says. They were in Christ before me. They had been in church longer than Paul had been in church. Now, Paul gets in church pretty quickly after the formation of the church, probably within the first five years, which means that, a, that this couple were members of the church or entered the church during or shortly after the upper room experience in Jerusalem. They were, these were plank holders in the apostolic church. They were, they were in the very beginning of the church. And secondly, Paul says that they were of note among the apostles. Now, that, that phrase is another one that is contested. Uh, it could mean a couple of different things. It could mean that they were well-known to the apostles, but it could also mean that they were well-known as apostles, and that's probably the translation that is taken most often from it, that they were well-known as apostles. Now, the word apostle here is used not in the sense of one of the twelve, but in a broader sense of those who were sent out, those who are involved in ministry. And the word likely indicates that this husband and wife were a ministry team, likely a missionary team, that much like Paul, they had been busy planting churches in otherwise untouched regions of the world. And it's interesting that Paul views this husband and wife ministry as a team where both of them are in some sense worthy of the title apostle. That's a, that's a significant thing, not just that he was an apostle and she was his wife, but they together were known as apostles. Now that says a lot for the importance of a spouse uh, in though, of those who are in ministry. When a husband and a wife team, when, when it comes to a husband and a wife that pastor together, you can't separate them in ministry. When God called me to pastor, he called her to pastor. When he equipped me to pastor, he equipped her to pastor. Whatever honor I receive, she should receive also because she's my partner in this. Amen. This is not just my ministry and I'm pulling her along with me, but we together, amen, have that calling. And we we together have that designation. We together pastor this church. Amen. That's the way Paul saw it. And that seems to be the sentiment of the verse that this husband and wife team together, they were apostles. Amen. Verse eight says, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Now, so Paul salutes Amplius, whom he deeply loved in the Lord, my, my beloved uh, it's another close personal friend of Paul, and we don't know anything else about him. Salute Urbane, verse 9, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. So then he went on to Urbane, who's another co-worker, a helper, one of those people involved in the same mission ministry as Paul, and Stachys, who is apparently a very close friend of Paul. Verse 10 says, salute Apellus, approved in Christ, salute them which are of Aristobulus's household. 
Now, Apelles, he's an interesting character. Apelles is described as one who is approved in Christ. That term has to do with something, or in this case, someone who has been tested and has passed the test. That's what it means by approved. And so we, we, can't, we don't know how Apollos was tested. We can only surmise what might have happened in his life. But somewhere along the way, Apollos was put to the test. He's encountered some kind of serious suffering in his life. Some point, he's, he's been tried. Uh, his faith has been tried. Uh, his tenacity has been tried. He's, he's been challenged. Uh, but he refused to give up. Uh, he refused to turn his back on God. He didn't surrender. He didn't break under the pressure. And Paul said, this is a man who has proven himself through the things that he has endured for the sake of the gospel. He has approved in Christ. Amen? That's a high honor, especially for someone like Paul to say of you. Paul, who, who himself has endured trial and tribulation and trouble and suffering at the hands of his enemies and at the hands of his brethren. Amen. Paul, who has been much imprisoned and many times shipwrecked, for him to look and say of this individual, he's a man who's been tried and found worthy. Amen. He's approved of. That's a high praise. Salutations were also given to the household Aristobulus. This is probably another reference to house church, the household is another way to refer to a house church. It's interesting that the greeting here is not sent to Aristobulus himself, but it's sent to his household. It probably indicates Aristobulus is dead. These are the, the survivors of his household. Now, history tells us that there was a prominent figure in Rome in this era named Her Aristobulus. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was the brother of Herod Agrippa I. And if this is the same man, he died in the year A.D. 48. So uh, the pieces all come together. Historians say it's possible, probably quite likely, that the household that Paul greets here is the household of this Aristobulus. And that, that there in his household, there's a church that meets. There's a people that have been established. It's kind of interesting if you remember the, your, your narrative of the New Testament. Herod was a bad guy. Amen. But, but we find in Rome that God's planted a church right in his own household. That's awesome, isn't it? Amen. Verse 11 says, Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. So next, Paul addresses Herodian, who is another fellow Jew, a kinsman along with the believers of the household of Narcissus. Now, once again, the believers of the household of Narcissus is probably a reference to a house church. And once again, the greeting is to the household instead of to the patron, which means the patron is likely dead. Now, this is another character that we can probably place historically. We know that there was a wealthy, well-known freeman with that name of Narcissus, who served the emperor of Claudius, the emperor Claudius. And after Claudius was murdered and Nero became emperor, Nero's mother, Agrippina, forced Narcissus to commit suicide. She virtually killed him uh, by his own hand. And that happened in AD 54, which would be right before Paul wrote this letter to Rome. So it's very possible, again, that the household that he refers to is the household of Narcissus, a man that was a servant of the emperor Claudius. What that tells us, these two, these two individuals, 
that we can place historically and that we, we feel confident that we can, we can find them in the pages of history were both very influential people. They were both very uh, high up on the social ladder, if you will. The church in Rome was not uh, a backwoods group somewhere. These were people who were, they were having an impact on some of the most influential in their society, in the home of royalty, and the home of those who were the, the, the servants of the, of the emperor, those who had, and of course, those, like I said before, those kind of people had houses big enough to hold a house church. And so that, that, that is indicative of the fact that the church in Rome was reaching their culture, not just the lower levels of their culture, but they were reaching people from every strata, every walk of life. Amen. Verse 12 says, salute Tryphena and Tryphosa who labored in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Now, this verse mentions three women, and all of them labored for the Lord. The names of the first two indicate that they were sisters, probably twin sisters. The meanings of their names are interesting. They mean delicate and dainty. And it's somewhat ironic because these women have such fragile names, but Paul praises them for their hard work or their labor. It's probable that Paul is making an intentional play on words here by playing their names off of the word labor. But what he's doing is acknowledging the fact that these are women who love God and who have worked hard for the kingdom of God. Amen. The name Persis indicates a woman of Persia probably a slave or a freed woman who came from, from that region of the world. And she's also prayed for, or praised for working hard. Now, the greeting here is a little less personal. If you'll notice, so many times Paul's used in, in the text we've already read this morning, the phrase, my beloved. But now he says, the beloved. So this is someone he doesn't know as well. This is someone that is beloved of those that know her, but she's not a close personal friend of Paul. The reference here to her labor is in past tense, which probably indicates that she is now elderly and unable to continue the labor that she once done for the kingdom of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice Paul doesn't say, doesn't discard her or, or say, well, now she's of no use to the kingdom. No, he says give her honor. Amen. Salute her. Respect her. She may not be able to do what she once did, but we value the contribution that she has made. She's an important part of the kingdom, important enough to make this list of people that Paul greets in the 16th chapter. Amen? He goes on in verse 13. Are you tired yet of all these names? Are the stories making it somewhat interesting? I understood before we started, I told Brother Randy it's the first lesson that I haven't written a closing altar call. I don't know how you give an altar call on this, but this is where we are. We're verse by verse through the book of Romans, and we happen to be in this segment of the letter. I've done my best to make it interesting, and I think there's some good stuff in here. He says, salute Rufus, chosen of the Lord, his mother and mine. Now, this is, Rufus is a real interesting character. Many believe that, and they use Mark, the gospel of Mark, to make this claim, and they're probably correct, that Rufus is the son of Simon of Cyrene. How many knows who Simon of Cyrene is? Simon carried the cross of Jesus on the crucifixion day. When the Roman soldier, when Jesus could no longer carry that cross, remember the Roman soldier called the man from the crowd to carry that cross. That man was Simon of Cyrene. And we find uh, in Mark's gospel that he had a son named Rufus who was involved in the church in Rome. And so Paul is very likely referencing that same Rufus who was the son of Simon of Cyrene. Now Rufus, Paul says, was chosen in the Lord. 
Lord. That indicates that he had a special calling on his life. He had a ministry. He had something that God was doing, a special calling. He was chosen of the Lord. But even more interesting than that is the fact that Paul also greets Rufus's mother. But he says of Rufus's mother that she is like his own mother. We don't know how that works, amen, but we know that somewhere in history then, at some point, Rufus's mother has befriended Paul in a motherly way so that he, he sees her as if, he, as, as if she were his own mother. So that, amen, Rufus and Paul are not brothers, but he's, her mother is a mother, his mother, Rufus's mother is a mother figure in Paul's life. We don't even get her name. We just know she's Rufus's mom. Amen. Verse 14 says, Salute Asyncritus, Phlegian, Hermas, Petrobus, and Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. So this is another house church that's identified by the phrase, the brethren which are with them. The names at the beginning of this verse all are people who are mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. So we know absolutely nothing about them except that they're instrumental in this house church. Verse 15 says, Salute Philogus and Julia, Neresis and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. So yet another house church is addressed with the phrase, All the saints which are with them. And this, this list is interesting. It's, it's likely the first two are a husband and wife team, while the second pair we know from the, from the text were a brother and sister, and some people believe that they were probably the daughter and son of that husband and wife team. These, along with Olympus, are unknown to us. They're not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. We don't know anything else about them except that they're an instrumental part of this house church. And that brings us to the 16th verse very short lesson. I, I thought I'd take this a little longer, but I don't guess I've gotten as involved in the history. Amen. The 16th verse says, Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. So these, this, this verse concludes these individual salutations and exhorts the Romans to greet each other with a holy kiss. Thankfully, there is no evidence that God meant to establish this as a special ordinance for the church for all of time. Greeting each other with a kiss was a typical Eastern and Jewish mode of greeting for people of the same sex. They would embrace one another and they would kiss each other on the cheek. And according to ancient church history, early Christians practiced that. They would kiss one another on the cheek when they met. It was a, it was a custom of their culture. In essence, what Paul is commending the Romans to do is to greet one another warmly as fellow members of the same church. Our culture is different, thank God. Amen. In this Western culture, the equivalent to giving one another a kiss on the cheek would be shaking hands or, if you're of the same sex, hugging each other uh, by the neck. Amen. That's about as close as we get. Now, that's Western culture. The, the, the fact is that... that the, the admonition here is not so much that you 
kiss someone as it is that you treat them warmly, that when you greet one another, you greet them warmly, you treat them as fellow Christians, that you that whenever you see each other out and about, have you ever been out and about and you you saw somebody who was obviously apostolic and and you're you're off somewhere in Six Flags and uh, of San Antonio and you you never you've never been there and then you don't know anybody there, but along comes this couple and it's very obvious to you they're they're of the same religious persuasion and all of a sudden you get to talking and and there's a familiarity and there's an air and there's a love that's there. You don't even have to know their name. You don't have to know where they went to church. There's a love that's just there because this is the people of God. Amen. That's what Paul's saying. It ought to be that way. It shouldn't be that when you're in town, you see another apostolic, you snub them, throw your nose up in the air and turn away and walk. No, no, no. It ought to be that you greet one another with love and compassion. Amen. Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love one for another. Amen. So Paul ends with greetings from all the churches of Christ, which is, interestingly enough, is where... Uh, the Church of Christ, that's their foundational scripture for the name of their church, uh, the Church of Christ. It's probably not an indicator of what they called the church then. It's just another way of saying these are the churches of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're Jesus' name churches. They've been baptized in the name of Jesus, and so the churches of Christ salute you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Like I said, I, I, didn't, I didn't put a closing together. I don't know how you do an altar call from that. I guess we... Uh, we could come down and pray that we would all be hard workers like those twin sisters or that we would all uh, give ourselves, lay our life on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ or, or, or be a helpmate to the ministry. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of characteristics in that group of people that you could aspire to. Amen? There's a lot of stuff there that you could reach for and say, you know what? I, I, I mean, you know, there's the one, the one lady, we, we don't know anything about her except that she worked hard for the kingdom. That's notable. It's notable enough that her name ends up in Scripture. I want to be one of those kind of people. Amen. Don't have to put my name in lights somewhere. Don't have to put my name on a bulletin somewhere. Just let me be known as someone who worked hard for the kingdom of God because I believe this thing is worth it. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to the house of God. I know it's a different way to end on Sunday morning, but I'm going to... I'm just going to pray a dismissal. I'm actually going to ask Brother Randy to come pray a dismissal prayer. And I'm going to encourage you to come back tonight because we're going to pick right back off where we left off in the service, uh, the worship service this morning. We're going to have church around here tonight. Amen. Amen. Brother.